Hello and welcome to Renewing Your Mind, a web-based ministry of South Bay Community Church located in Fremont, California. It is our prayer that today's broadcast will be a blessing to you. Let us prepare our hearts to hear the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, musicians and choir. It is just so important that we praise God because he inhabits, as I often say from the verse, he inhabits the praises of his people. So good morning, family. And let us keep that attitude of praise together as we now get ready to look toward God's word, hear the message that he has for us today. And as I said, this may feel just a bit heavy. It's heavy on my heart. And so let us go to God together. I want to first start by just sharing a little bit about my recent trip to Ghana. I had the opportunity to go with uh, my dad on the tour that, um, that we did to Ghana. And I'll confess that I had never really thought about going to Africa before probably because it's not usually presented as one of those touristy destinations. And so I wasn't really sure what I would do there. And I was neutral. I just hadn't given it much thought. But when the opportunity came, I was open. And and so I went. And it was an amazing trip. Stirred all kinds of emotions for me. Some of the highlights uh, you can see here I shared some pictures with you. There was a wonderful group that went. There was 28 of us, a number from this church. And this was the first trip that I've ever gone on for one of these tours that we had absolutely no trip drama. None. Nobody left anything. All passports were together. People were where they were supposed to be. It was a wonderful time, and we all got along. The country was beautiful. The countryside is beautiful. The food was great. The people were warm. I learned so much. It felt like coming home. We had an opportunity on one of our days to to serve at a school for the deaf and the blind. And we had made arrangements to do some painting at the school. And we only had a limited amount of time because we needed to travel to our our next spot. But we went excited. We had all of our materials. And when we got there, they had a whole presentation for us. We went to bless them, but they blessed us. And my favorite is that that little girl right there. They were singing a song to us, and she was blind, but she was singing her heart out. I I was weeping all over the place. And... She was singing her little heart out. So we gave them materials. We brought gifts for them. And and we only had just a little bit of time to paint the building, but we got it started. And then we left everything for them. And it was just wonderful to be with them. And I say they were blessing to us. We had those wonderful highlights, but there was also some challenging moments. We There was this gap that was so evident between the haves and the have-nots. It was just striking. The poverty was tough to see in a country that is so rich in resources. And in your gut, you just know something's just not right here. And what was especially hard was our visit to the slave castles. We went to two slave castles. And we stood in the dungeons 
where men and women were captured and, and squished in there where there was no more room. They would be in there for weeks and months at a time before they were shipped out, and, and our tour guide just made it so plain to us that there was no restroom facility, so everything happened in that dungeon with hundreds and thousands of people squished in these rooms. It was hard. There was lack of airflow. The stench, even after all of these centuries, was still hard to breathe. I couldn't imagine back then the, the darkness, the shackles, the abuse. It was overwhelming. And I experienced a flood of emotions. At first, it was hard to even wrap my mind around that this was a reality. Hundreds of years of institutionalized slavery. It was hard not to cry. And for me, as an African-American, knowing that my ancestors probably came through one of those cells, it, it just, you didn't know what to do with that. And it was, it was too much. And, and after the burden and the pain came anger. I was angry of such atrocities, anger at the, at the evil, angry at a reality that we know was never God's intention for humanity. The institution of slavery, any abuse of humanity in any form is just pure evil. And then what inflamed me even more was one of the castles we went to. We went into a dungeon on the first floor where men were held. And on the top floor, right above our heads, was a church. And I, I could not hold those two realities, that you have such atrocities happening below your feet and you're praising God above you. Above, I had such feelings that were raging within me, and, and I, I left that feeling like I wanted to do something, needed to do something to fight evil and injustice. Our tour guide was phenomenal, and, and he left because it was heavy for all of us, and, and he left with the encouraging words to go back and be different. He says, these things have happened, but there's still all kinds of slavery all around the world. Go back and be different. And that has stuck with me. So what do you do when you come face to face with evil and injustice? When you're stirred up in your gut because you know this is not okay. This is not what God wants. It's just wrong. I'm sure you have had those feelings at times as well. Well, Jesus had. And if you could open your Bibles to Matthew 21, we're going to be looking at two verses, just verses 12 and 13. Because Jesus can relate to what I was feeling. Mine is much smaller scale. But Jesus knows this, this burden and this anger. If you're following along with our Immerse series, you will be reading the entire book of Matthew this week, and so you'll read this text this coming week. But this text is also, this story is also in the Gospel of Mark, so you may have read it this past week as well. So it may be fresh for you. 
but it's a passage that I'm sure most, if not all of you, are aware of. Please stand with me as we read God's word together. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Heavenly Father, as we unpack your word this morning, I ask that you would be with us in a special way. We have worshiped you. We have praised you. We know that your spirit is present. And God, as we now turn to a subject that may be challenging, I ask that your spirit would just continue to speak to our hearts, that we would hear what you would have us hear this morning, that we would respond in the way that you would have us to respond, and that we will leave here different. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you've been following along with our sermon series, we've been looking at encountering the real Jesus. And we started on Friend Day with Jesus, the definitive friend. We moved the next Sunday and we looked at Jesus, the devoted, that nothing can separate us from his love. After that, we looked at Jesus, the disruptor that sometimes he disrupts our lives for a higher purpose and higher calling. On anniversary Sunday, we looked at Jesus, the developer, that he has started a good work in us. And last week, we looked at Jesus, the defender. And we recognized that there are some battles that are not ours to fight because we have a defender. This week, we're going to look at Jesus, the dissident. And consider the fact that as followers of Jesus, there are some battles that we are to fight. There's some we don't fight because he's our defender, but there's other battles that we join him in the fight. Before we get started, I want to just take a moment and define dissident. According to Wikipedia and Merriam-Webster, a dissident is a person who actively challenges an established doctrine, policy, or institution, typically a religious or political system. Some of the synonyms for dissident that we may use more commonly is rebel, revolutionary, nonconformist. You get the picture. And this is what we see exemplified in our text this morning. It's often referred to as Jesus' cleansing of the temple. But I think that sometimes we aren't exactly sure what to do with this passage. Depending on how you are personally about passionate expressions of emotion, it may make us a little uncomfortable. The scene may seem kind of strange. We may feel a bit too much. I heard someone once refer to this text as Jesus's temple tantrum. And Hollywood doesn't help. In biblical movies, whenever you get to this, this part of the story, this is the beginning of Passion Week, often Jesus looks like a madman in this scene. On the one hand, we understand his zeal and passion for his father's house. 
But on the other hand, we're not so sure what to do with such a display of anger. Was Jesus out of control? Did he snap when he saw what was going on? Was this extreme or violent behavior? I don't think so. As I was preparing for this sermon, actually, the trip to Ghana came to my mind. I wasn't originally planning to share about Ghana. But as I was preparing for this sermon, my experience at the slave castles came back to my mind because I can attest to the fact that while I was there, something viscerally welled up in me. It was something that I felt compelled to respond to somehow. And I bet that you've had those feelings as well. Something happens deep inside when we come face to face with evil or injustice or any gap that we know that's not what God has in mind. Something stirs. And Jesus was filled with deep, deep emotion. A righteous anger, if you will, at the gulf between what was happening in God's house and God's intentions and desire. There was this chasm, and Jesus had a righteous anger, but he wasn't out of control. I don't believe he was impulsive or being reactive, nor do I believe he was taken by surprise. He knew what was going on, nor would I call it a tantrum. I believe Jesus was intentionally responding to what was happening. And what was happening? What was, what was the problem? What was the evil that, that got him so angered? Well, first, there was exploitation and the abuse of people, God's little ones, sheep, whether they knew him or not. He cares for them. It was Passover week, and the people had come from all around the region to be in Jerusalem to celebrate. And they would travel light knowing that once they got there that they could purchase animals for sacrifices right there at the temple. But the merchants at the temple had turned this practice into big business. It was like a flea market. They were overcharging and taking advantage of the people under the pretense of providing a holy service. Further, there were only certain coins that were allowed in the temple offering. And so the money changers were there to exchange whatever currency the people, the travelers, brought with them for they, so that they could have these temple coins. And they, too, were exploiting the people. They were doing an unfair exchange rate and adding additional fees. And this was all under the authority and permission of the religious leaders. The chief priests who perhaps were looking at how this was a way to line the temple coffers, they were part of the problem. Not only were they abusing and exploiting the people, but this was all happening in the house of God. They were abusing the temple. Drawing from Isaiah and Jeremiah, Jesus quotes, My temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. I like how Eugene Peterson put it in the Message Bible. He calls them loan sharks. 
In Mark's account, Jesus says, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And even though Matthew doesn't include that all nations part, it is implied that that's what Jesus was referring to because that's how it is written in Isaiah. My house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And it's significant, that piece of it, because all this buying and selling wasn't inside the the temple um, proper. It was in an outer courtyard of the temple, what was known as the Gentile court. So this was the place where non-Jews could come and worship and pray, but the market had taken over. The marketplace literally was preventing those other nations from coming to pray. And you see that this was important to Jesus because as soon as he got everybody out of the marketplace, it says in verse 14 that the lame and the blind were able to come in and he heals them. He made space for who was intended to be in that court. So Jesus sees all that is going on and he's inflamed with righteous anger because of the abuse, the injustice, the harm that's being done to people. The evil and the misuse that is happening in God's house. You want to see God angry? Mess with his people. Mess with the innocent. Mess with the least of these. Mess with his house of prayer. He got angry. And when Jesus overturns the tables and drives out the sellers and the money changers, what he's doing is he's taking a stand. He's making a point, a visibly demonstrative, authoritative point about the kingdom of God. He's pronouncing judgment on what is happening, just like the Old Testament prophets would do in the Old Testament. He's declaring that this is a new day. He's heralding a kingdom revolution. Now, it's not the revolution that they were expecting. He has no intentions of overthrowing the Roman government. But it is a revolution. It's a revolution on religiosity. It's a revolution on the status quo that is against God's vision and plan and and purposes for his people. It's a revolution on evil and injustice because God's kingdom is here. Jesus was a dissident, a rebel, a revolutionary who was making a point about the kingdom of God. And that wasn't just his one time making such a point. The truth is proclaiming the presence of the kingdom of God was behind everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. The Jews, as I said, were expecting an earthly revolution. So they missed a lot of what Jesus was doing and why. And I wonder if sometimes we miss it too. Some years ago, I taught a class based on a book called The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey, a wonderful book. And in the book, he challenges some notions and perceptions that we have about who Jesus is. He feels that we often have picked these up from Hollywood or art images or Bible stories over the years. How many remember seeing a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, long-haired Jesus growing up? We've been impacted by imagery. 
He says often Jesus is portrayed as a kind of Mr. Rogers, soft-spoken, meek, and mild, a do-gooder for the sick, the broken, children, and puppies. Now, that's not to take away from Jesus being compassionate. That is his core. But we can miss the deeper meaning and the intent of why Jesus came and what he was doing. Jesus wasn't just trying to be nice. He came to initiate and demonstrate a new world order. He was a revolutionary establishing norms for the kingdom of God. Just like we see in the temple cleansing, Jesus was a dissident committed to eradicating evil and establishing God's kingdom rule. Jesus preached about the kingdom. He told parables about the kingdom. In fact, many of his parables would even start, the kingdom of God is like, and then he would go on to tell the parable. Jesus frequently would say, the kingdom of God is near. So he healed sick to demonstrate that there is no sickness in the kingdom of God. He cast out demons because demons have no control in the kingdom of God. He forgave sins because those who repent are welcomed into the kingdom of God. He did miraculous signs to show that the power of the kingdom is greater than any power that's in this world. He taught his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not some by and by reality. Jesus came to bring the kingdom on earth now. Now it's not perfected. We still have sickness, but God's power is also here. The kingdom of God, God's reign and rule has came to earth with Jesus. And when Jesus comes again, the kingdom will be perfected. It will be completed. It will be culminated. But in the meantime, the good news is the kingdom of God is here. And through his death and resurrection, the kingdom of God is in you and through you, and in me, and through me. That's why Jesus came, to establish that kingdom. And everywhere Jesus went and taught, he would demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like so we begin to get the picture of the kingdom. I think sometimes we are so familiar with the Bible stories that we don't necessarily recognize how controversial, countercultural, subversive Jesus really was. But think about it. In Luke 4, when Jesus states his mission, he says he came to bring good news to the poor and the oppressed and set captives free. Right out the gate, he's upsetting the status quo. His first public act was an act of civil disobedience. He broke the law by picking grain on the Sabbath. He was known for hanging out with the wrong people, sinners and tax collectors, and he didn't care. He challenged longstanding religious traditions with phrases like, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. He challenged traditions. He confronted teachers of the law, Pharisees, priests, in frequent debates. 
in the first week of our Immersed Bible series when we read through Luke, what struck me was how many disputes Jesus got into with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. I don't think I noticed how many it was before. They were constantly at odds. He called them vipers, hypocrites, and whitewashed graves. No wonder they wanted to kill him. No, Jesus was not simply a nice guy. He was a dissident with a kingdom mission. And here's the, here's the part for us, brothers and sisters. If we are followers of Jesus, then we're called to be dissidents too. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. To follow Jesus means that we do what he did, that we live like he did, that we care about what he cares about. It means that we are dissidents, that we look for every opportunity to eradicate evil and injustice and proclaim with our lives and our words that the kingdom of God is here. These are the battles that we are to fight. Now you may be saying to me, there is so much evil and so much injustice in the world, I don't even know where to begin. And I get that. One only has to watch the news for the first 15 minutes to feel depressed, discouraged, disturbed, and you just want to turn it off. I get that. But I also know that it's true that we don't, get out of, we don't have a get-out-of-jail-free card. If we are followers of Christ, then we are revolutionaries too. It's not an option. If we are part of God's family, then the family business is about advancing the kingdom of God whenever, wherever, and however we can. That is our battle to fight. God's vision, God's voice, God's way, however and whenever we can. And it is a battle because the kingdom of God is here now, but it's also not quite yet culminated. And so the kingdom of evil is fighting just as strong. So it is a battle. It is our battle. So where do we begin? Well, last week I gave you three ways to know which battles are not yours to fight. This, way, this week I want to share three ways for you to begin to discern which battles are yours to fight. First way to begin to discern what battle is yours to fight is to start with prayer and ask God to give you kingdom eyes and ears for kingdom presence. Ask God to give you kingdom eyes and ears so you can be a kingdom presence. As followers of Christ, we're meant to be lights in the darkness, but I think sometimes we get used to the darkness and we can forget we're supposed to be light. Sometimes we aren't aware of our opportunities to shine. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that wherever God has placed you, you are not there by accident. On your job, in your neighborhood, in your whatever volunteer groups you may be part of, in your family, you're not there by accident. 
God has placed you there to be a kingdom voice, to be a revolutionary, a presence for the kingdom of God, to repudiate any form of evil, large or small, any form of injustice, large or small. That's why we're there, to fight for the kingdom. Micah 6, 8 reminds us that God requires us to love mercy and do justice. But do we have eyes to see and ears to hear when those opportunities are in front of us? And that starts with prayer. So the first way to discern what battle is yours to fight is to pray. Eyes to see, ears to hear. God, how do you want me to be? a kingdom presence here? How do you want me to be a dissident? How do you want me to be a revolutionary in my circumstances? And God will show you. Second way to discern the battles that you are meant to fight is to pay attention to, to notice and stay with the burdens or the angers that come to your spirit and bring it to God. What hits you deep in your gut when you watch the news? What impacts you when you hear statistics or stories of things happening around the world? Whatever hits you, what stirs you, may be something that you are uniquely um, wired to respond to. You may watch something and say, somebody needs to do something about that. You may feel that inflaming. But what if the spirit is saying that someone is you? It may feel huge. It may, you may not even know where to begin. This morning after the first service, uh, someone came up to me and resonated with, um, with a burden that he has for education that actually I'll talk about later. But, but he was sharing how he's in the classroom and he sees what's happening to the students there. And it's so overwhelming for him. And I said, but you're there. You are touching the six students you have in your class. And he says, but it's not enough. There's the whole school. I'm like, start with the six students you have in your class. And then let see what else God does from there. But whatever stirs in you may be your unique kingdom battle to fight. And I want to encourage you to stay with that. That's the third way to discern the battle. Test it out. Get involved. Do it. Because it is so easy for it to kind of wane. We can get um, inflamed. We can feel passionate. We can, we can feel like, okay, I'm going to do something. And if we don't jump in there and start whatever that little thing is, it can be plucked away, just like in the parable with the, with the word being plucked from those birds that come and eat the seeds. Start something doesn't have to be big. It can be small, but start something. So many things call our attention, and we can get derailed and distracted, but Jesus needs us. We are his army. We say all the time that we're his hands and feet. Do we really believe it? We are his body here on earth. We are the dissidents and the revolutionaries that are here now to proclaim that God's kingdom is near. Fighting for justice, eradicating evil, replacing it with love whenever and wherever we can. Now, the what we do 
can be as varied as the people in this room. Many of you, I already know, have found your kingdom battle. We call it here at South Bay a personal mission. Some of you have found your battle to, to bring justice and equity or, and love into a broken world by working with seniors. Some of you are responding to evil by being a peer, peer counselor and a listening ear. Some of you are responding to the injustices and inequitability in our world by feeding the homeless, serving children and youth. Some are working with mental health challenges. Some are spending time with those in prison. Some of you have found other ways that, that, that you are responding to how to advance the kingdom, the way that you're wired, the way that you feel called to. And these are just a few that I know about, but you're all revolutionaries for the kingdom. That's not connected to a church ministry. You're doing it on your own. We also are seeking to be a revolutionary church. We want to figuratively turn over some tables of our own. There's a couple of ways that we're seeking to do that here at South Bay. As recent as yesterday, we had a team of people serving at Abode Homeless Shelter. We're fighting the injustice of homelessness and the, and the poverty that can happen with one warm meal at a time. We do this every month, and there are some months that we don't have enough people to go. So I want to invite you, if that's an area that, that you feel incensed and inflamed about homelessness and, and poverty, there's an opportunity for you. We have Angel Tree that is kicking off today, and we're familiar with Angel Tree. We've been doing it for years. It's where we buy gifts for those children whose parents are incarcerated. But that's a kingdom fight. We want those children to feel loved and not forgotten. We want to help eradicate whatever injustice and evil and whatever their situation is that, they, that they're the, the victims of. It's a kingdom fight. So I want to invite you after service today. Angel Tree is set up across the hall. Thanksgiving baskets we are collecting now, and next week will be our last week to collect, but that's a kingdom fight. It's not just a nice charitable contribution for the holidays. We are seeking to fight the economic challenges that can happen to people living in the Bay Area. We want them to have a pleasant Thanksgiving. We want them to know God loves them. We want to, we want to give them a sense of justice and, and care. In June of next year, 2019, we are planning a mission trip. And I wanted to have the details today. I'm not quite ready, but you'll hear about it very shortly in the next couple weeks. We have two places that we're considering but both of the places we're considering, we are looking to partner with a community that is ravaged with poverty and the ill effects of politics and globalization. We want to come together and bring some justice, some love, some mercy to that community. We want to be a kingdom presence as revolutionaries. If you were at the business meeting uh, not a few weeks ago, you heard that we are starting an after-school program initiative that we're calling the South Bay Youth Leadership Institute. 
It's a kingdom vision. It's not just to have an after-school program for kids. We want to invest in leaders, and in particular, we want to work with African-American and Latino students. The recent statistics report that 60% of the students in this district, and I know it's not just Fremont Unified, it's other districts as well, but 60% are functioning below grade level. Something's wrong with that. There's an injustice there somehow, somewhere. We want to fight that battle. The truth is that there is so much injustice, so much inequality, so much brokenness and evil in general. We can't do it all. But Jesus doesn't ask us to do it all. There is an entire body of believers in this church, in this community, in the country, in the world. Together, we are all the hands and feet of Jesus. But we do need to do our part. There's a story that I came across about these two men. They were walking on a beach in Mexico. And they're talking to one another, and they see in the distance a man that is throwing something in the ocean. And as they get closer, they see that, that he's bending over, picking something up, throwing it in the ocean, and they can see that he's a native of Mexico. And as they get closer to him even more, they notice that there are starfish all over the beach. And they're left there because of the outgoing tide, so they're, they're all on the sand. And, and the native is picking one up and throwing them back in the ocean, and, and then they swim away. So one of the two men that came up upon him says, what are you doing? And the native replies, I'm throwing the starfish back into the sea because if I don't, they will die on the sand. And the other man replies, I understand that part, but look, this beach is covered with starfish. You possibly can't think that you're making a difference. And the man, the native, bends over, picks up a starfish, throws it in the ocean, and he says, I made a difference for that one. We aren't meant to address every wrong, ill, or evil in this world. But we are meant to be revolutionaries for the kingdom of God. One starfish at a time, one issue at a time, one matter at a time, one person at a time. Baby steps is okay. We give Jesus what we can, and he multiplies it and does the rest. I told the, the gentleman this morning, I said, you start, start with your six students. Talk to your principal. You don't know what God will do with it from there, but it's burning in his heart. Stick with that. The question that Jesus has for us is will we join him in the fight? Will we be revolutionaries for the kingdom of God. And this message isn't meant to make you feel guilty, but it is meant to make us listen to what the Spirit may be stirring in our hearts. It is meant to open our eyes and our ears to see what is around us that God has already orchestrated us for us to just step right in and be his voice, be his presence, be revolutionaries for the kingdom of God. Will you turn this world upside down as a kingdom revolutionary? Will you join him? Pray with me. 
And after the prayer, I ask you just to stay in that space as Sister Tracy gives us a continued prayer in music. Father, this is, this is a challenging topic because in so many ways, some of us are just treading water with our own noses above, above the waterline. And it can be challenging to even think about being a revolutionary when we feel like we're barely surviving. But God, in this moment, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just comfort us that your spirit would remind us that you are our defender and you got us. And because you do, you can empower us to give a hand out, to, to extend an arm, to correct some wrongs when we can, to be a voice for others, to be an advocate, a revolutionary, whatever we need to do, Lord, for your kingdom reign to advance in this world. And so, God, we trust you. We trust you with our own things. And we trust you for what you're calling us into. And so, God, I ask that in this moment, you would just continue to speak to our spirits. Bubble up for us what this may mean for us individually. It's not a one-size-fits-all. But I firmly believe, God, that you have a call on each of us. And you invite us to partner with you. I ask, Lord, that we hold this as we listen right now. In Jesus' name we pray. 